0: chapter nine part one of the worst journey in the world volume two by apsley cherry garrard this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine the polar journey the barrier stage part one come my friends tis not too late to seek a newer world push off and sitting well in order smite the sounding furrows for my purpose holds to sail beyond the sunset and the baths of all the western stars, until I die. It may be that the gulfs will wash us down, it may be we shall touch the happy isles, and see the great Achilles whom we knew. Though much is taken, much abides, and though we are not now that strength which in the old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are, one equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate but strong in will, to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield." Tennyson Ulysses Take it all in all, it is wonderful that the South Pole was reached so soon after the North Pole had been conquered. From Cape Columbia to the North Pole, straight going, is 413 geographical miles, and Peary, who took on his expedition 246 dogs, covered this distance in 37 days. From Hut Point to the South Pole and back is 1,532 geographical or 1,766 statute miles, the distance to the top of the Beardmore Glacier alone being more than a hundred miles farther than Peary had to cover to the North Pole. Scott travelled from Hut Point to the South Pole in 75 days, and to the Pole and back to his last camp in 147 days, a period of five months all miles are geographical unless otherwise stated the departure from cape evans at eleven p m on november first is described by griffith taylor who started a few days later on the second geological journey with his own party on the thirty first of october the pony parties started two weak ponies led by atkinson and kean were sent off first at four thirty and i accompanied them for about a mile Kern's pony rejoiced in the name of Jimmy Pig, and he stepped out much better than his fleeter-named mate, Jehu. We heard through the telephone of their safe arrival at Hut Point. Next morning the Southern party finished their mail, posting it in the packing-case on Atkinson's bunk, and then at eleven a.m. the last party were ready for the pole. They had packed the sledges overnight, and they took twenty pounds of personal baggage. The owner had asked me what book he should take. He wanted something fairly filling. I recommended Tyndall's Glaciers, if he wouldn't find it coolish. He didn't fancy this, so then I said why not take Browning as I'm doing, and I believe that he did so. Wright's Pony was the first harnessed to its sledge. Chinaman is Jehu's rival for last place, and, as some compensation, is easy to harness. Seaman Evans led Snatcher, who used to rush ahead and take the lead as soon as he was harnessed. Cherry had Michael, a steady-goer, and Wilson led Nobby, the pony rescued from the killer whales in March. Scott led out snippets to the sledges, and harnessed him to the foremost, with little Anton's help, only it turned out to be Bower's sledge, however he transferred in a few minutes, and marched off rapidly to the south. Christopher as usual behaved like a demon. First they had to trice his front leg up tight under his shoulder, then it took five minutes to throw him. The sledge was brought up, and he was harnessed in while his head was held down on the floe. Finally he rose up still on three legs, and started off galloping as well as he was able. After several violent kicks his foreleg was released, and after more watch-spring flicks with his hind legs he set off fairly steadily. Titus can't stop him when once he's started, and will have to do the fifteen miles in one lap, probably. Dear old Titus, that was my last memory of him imperturbable as ever, never hasty, never angry, but soothing that vicious animal and determined to get the best out of most unpromising material in his endeavour to do his simple duty. Bowers was last to leave, his pony Victor, nervous but not vicious, was soon in the traces. I ran to the end of the cape and watched the little cavalcade, already strung out into remote units, rapidly fade into the lonely white waste to southward that evening i had a chat with wilson over the telephone from the discovery hut my last communication with those five gallant spirits all of the ponies arrived at hut point by four p m just in time to escape a stiff blow three of them were housed with ourselves inside the hut the rest being put into the verandah the march showed that with their loads the speed of the different ponies varied to such an extent that individuals were soon separated by miles it reminded me of a regatta or a somewhat disorganised fleet with ships of very unequal speed it was decided to change to night marching and the following evening we proceeded in the following order which was the way of our going for the present the three slowest ponies started first namely jehu with atkinson chinaman with wright james pig with cayen this party was known as the baltic fleet two hours later scott's party followed Scott with Snippets, Wilson with Nobby, and myself with Michael. Both these parties camped for lunch in the middle of the night's march. After another hour the remaining four men set to work to get Christopher into his sledge. When he was started they harnessed in their own ponies as quickly as possible and followed, making a non-stop run right through the night's march. It was bad for men and ponies, but it was impossible to camp in the middle of the march owing to Christopher. The composition of this party was Oates with Christopher, Bowers with Victor, Seaman Evans with Snatcher, Crean with Bones. Each of these three parties was self-contained with tent, cooker, and weekly bag, and the times of starting were so planned that the three parties arrived at the end of the march about the same time. There was a strong head-wind and low drift as we rounded Cape Armitage on our way to the barrier and the future. Probably there were few of us who did not wonder when we should see the old familiar place again. Scott's party camped at safety camp, as the Baltic fleet were getting under way again. Soon afterwards Ponting appeared, with a dog-sledge and a cinematograph. How anomalous it seemed! Which was up in time to catch the flying rear-guard which came along in fine form, snatcher leading and being stopped every now and again, a wonderful little beast. Christopher had given the usual trouble when harnessed, but was evidently subdued by the barrier surface. However, it was not thought advisable to halt him and so the party fled through in the wake of the advance guard. Immediately afterwards, Scott's party packed up. Good-bye and good luck from Ponting. A wave of the hand not holding in a frisky pony, and we had left the last link with the hut. The future is in the lap of the gods. I can think of nothing left undone to deserve success. The general scheme was to average ten miles, 11.5 statute, a day from hut point to one ton depot, with the ponies lightly laden from one ton to the gateway a daily average of thirteen miles fifteen statute was necessary to carry twenty-four weekly units of food for four men each to the bottom of the glacier this was the barrier stage of the journey a distance of three hundred and sixty-nine miles four hundred and twenty-five statute as actually run on our sledge-meter the twenty-four weekly units of food were to carry the polar party and two supporting parties forward to their farthest point and back again to the bottom of the beardmore Where three more units were to be left in a depot. All went well on this first day on the barrier, and encouraging messages left on empty petrol drums told us that the motors were going well when they passed, but the next day we passed five petrol drums which had been dumped. This meant that there was trouble, and some fourteen miles from Hut Point we learned that the big end of the number two cylinder of Day's motor had broken, and half a mile beyond we found the motor itself drifted up with snow and looking a mournful wreck. The next day's march, Sunday, November 5th, a.m., brought us up to corner camp. There were a few legs-down crevasses during the day, but nothing to worry about. From here we could see to the south an ominous mark in the snow which we hoped might not prove to be the second motor. It was. The big end of number 1 cylinder had cracked, the machine otherwise in good order. Evidently the engines are not fitted to working in this climate, a fact that should be certainly capable of correction one thing is proved the system of propulsion is altogether satisfactory and again it is a disappointment i had hoped better of the machines once they got way on the barrier surface scott had set his heart upon the success of the motors he had run them in norway and switzerland and everything was done that care and forethought could suggest at the back of his mind i feel sure was the wish to abolish the cruelty which the use of ponies and dogs necessarily entails a small measure of success will be enough to show their possibilities their ability to revolutionize polar transport. Seeing the machines at work today, leaving Cape Evans, and remembering that every defect so far is purely mechanical, it is impossible not to be convinced of their value. But the trifling mechanical defects and lack of experience show the risk of cutting out trials. A season of experiment with a small workshop at hand may be all that stands between success and failure. I do not believe that Scott built high hopes on these motors, but it was a chance to help those who followed him. Scott was always trying to do that. Did they succeed or fail? They certainly did not help us much, the motor which travelled farthest drawing a heavy load to just beyond corner camp, but even so fifty statute miles is fifty miles, and that they did it at all was an enormous advance. The distance travelled included hard and soft surfaces, and we found later, when the snow bridges fell in during the summer that this car had crossed safely some broad crevasses. Also, they worked in temperatures down to minus thirty degrees Fahrenheit. All this was to the good, for no motor-driven machine had travelled on the barrier before. The general design seemed to be right. All that was now wanted was experience. As an experiment they were successful in the South, but Scott never knew their true possibilities, for they were the direct ancestors of the tanks in France. Night-marching had its advantages and disadvantages. The ponies were pulling in the colder part of the day and resting in the warm, which was good. Their coats dried well in the sun, and after a few days to get accustomed to the new conditions they slept and fed in comparative comfort. On the other hand, the pulling surface was undoubtedly better when the sun was high, and the temperature warmer. Taking one thing with another, there was no doubt that night marching was better for ponies, but we seldom if ever tried it man-hauling. Just now there was an amazing difference between day and night conditions. At midnight, One was making short work of everything, nursing fingers after doing up harness with minus temperatures and nasty cold winds. By supper time the next morning we were sitting on our sledges writing up our diaries or meteorological logs, and even dabbling our bare toes in the snow, but not for long. Shades of darkness! How different all this was from what we had been through! My personal impression of this early summer sledging on the barrier was one of constant wonder at his comfort. One had forgotten that a tent could be warm and a sleeping bag dry. So deep were the contrary impressions that only actual experience was convincing. It is a sweltering day, the air breathless, the glare intense. One loses sight of the fact that the temperature is low, minus 22 degrees. One's mind seeks comparison in hot sunlit streets and scorching pavements. Yet six hours ago my thumb was frostbitten. All the inconveniences of frozen footwear and damp clothes and sleeping-bags have vanished entirely. We could not expect to get through this windy area of corner camp without some bad weather. The wind-blown surface improved, the ponies took their heavier loads with ease, but as we came to our next camp it was banking up to the southeast, and the breeze freshened almost immediately. We built pony walls hurriedly, and by the time we had finished supper it was blowing force five, a.m., November 6th, camp four. There was a moderate gale with some drift all day which increased to force eight, with more drift at night it was impossible to march the drift took off a bit the next morning and meares and dimitri with the two dog-teams appeared and camped astern of us this was according to previous plan by which the dog-teams were to start after us and catch us up since they travelled faster than the ponies the snow and drift necessitated digging out ponies again and again to keep them well sheltered from the wind the walls made a splendid lee but some sledges at the extremities were buried altogether and our tent being rather close to windward of our wall got the back eddy, and was continually being snowed up above the door. Afternoon, the snow ceased except for surface drift. Snatcher knocked his section of the wall over, and Jehu did so more than ever. All ponies looked pretty miserable, as in spite of the shelter there were bunged up, eyes and all, in drift, which had become ice and could not be removed without considerable difficulty. Towards evening it ceased drifting altogether, but a wind force-four kept up with disconcerting regularity. Eventually Atkinson's party got away at midnight. Castle Rock is still visible, but will be closed by the north end of White Island in the next march, then good-bye to the old landmarks for many a long day. The next day, November 8th to 9th, started at midnight and had a very pleasant march, truly sledging in such weather is great. Mounts, Discovery and Morning, which we gradually closed, looked fine in the general panorama of mountains. We are now nearly abreast of the north end of the bluff, we all came up to camp together this morning it looked like a meat of the hounds and jehu ran away the next march was just the opposite wind force five to six and falling snow the surface was very slippery in parts and on the hard sastrugi it was a case of falling or stumbling continually the light got so bad that one might have been walking in the clouds for all that could be discerned and yet it was only snowing lightly the bluff became completely obscured and the usual signs of a blizzard were accentuated At lunch-camp Scott backed up and followed us. We overhauled Atkinson about one and a half hours later, he having camped, and we were not sorry as in addition to marching against a fresh southerly breeze the light brought a tremendous strain on the eyes in following tracks. A little more than eight miles for the day's total. We carried these depressing conditions for three more marches, that is till the morning of November 13th. The surface was wretched, the weather horrid, the snow persistent covering everything with soft downy flakes, inch upon inch, and mile upon mile. There are glimpses of despondency in the diaries. If this should come as an exception, our luck will be truly awful. The camp is very silent and cheerless, signs that things are going awry. The weather was horrid, overcast, gloomy, snowy. One's spirits became very low. I expected these marches to be a little difficult, but not near so bad as to-day indefinite conditions always tried scott most positive disasters put him into more cheerful spirits than most in the big gale coming south when the ship nearly sank and we lost one of the cherished motors through the sea ice his was one of the few cheerful faces i saw even when the ship ran aground off cape evans he was not despondent but this kind of thing irked him bowers wrote the unpleasant weather and bad surface and chinaman's indisposition combined to make the outlook unpleasant and on arrival in camp I was not surprised to find that Scott had a grievance. He felt that in arranging the consumption of forage his own unit had not been favoured with the same reduction as ours, in fact accused me of putting upon his three horses to save my own. We went through the weights in detail after our meal, and, after a certain amount of argument, decided to carry on as we were going. I can quite understand his feelings, and after our experience of last year a bad day like this makes him fear our beasts are going to fail us the talent i.e., the doctors, examine Chinaman, who begins to show signs of wear. Poor ancient little beggar, he ought to be a pensioner instead of finishing his days on a job of this sort. Jehu looks pretty rocky too, but seeing that we did not expect him to reach the Glacier Tong, and that he has now done more than a hundred miles from Cape Evans, one really does not know what to expect of these creatures. Certainly Titus thinks, as he has always said, that they are the most unsuitable scrap-heap crowd of unfit creatures that could possibly be got together. The weather was about as poisonous as one could wish, a fresh breeze and driving snow from the east with an awful surface. The recently fallen snow thickly covered the ground with powdery stuff that the unfortunate ponies fairly wallowed in. If it was only ourselves to consider I should not mind a bit, but to see our best ponies being hit like this at the start is most distressing a single march like that of last night must shorten their usefulness by days and here we are a fortnight out and barely one-third of the distance till the glacier covered with every pony showing signs of wear victor looks a lean and lanky beast compared with his condition two weeks ago but the ponies began to go better and it was about this time that jehu was styled the barrier wonder and chinaman the thunderbolt our four ponies have suffered most writes bowers I don't agree with Titus that it is best to march them right through without a lunch camp. They were undoubtedly pretty tired and worst of all did not go their feeds properly. It was a fine warm morning for them, November 13th, plus 15 degrees, our warmest temperature hitherto. In the afternoon it came on to snow in large flakes like one would get at home. I have never seen such snow down here before. It makes the surface very bad for the sledges. The ponies manes and rugs were covered in little knots of ice. End of chapter 9, part 1